0: All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Gosh, can you imagine this is our last Sunday service before Christmas Eve. Isn't that amazing? Where did it go? Pastor Gabe and I were driving in this morning, we're looking at the mountains going like it's almost Christmas Eve and we're you know, looking out and there's hardly any snow. You can see maybe just a little tip on the mountains up there and I don't know if any of you have been up in the mountains, I'm sure it's up there but there's no sign of it here, but you see signs everywhere. You go to the mall, you go driving just down the street, down Main Street in Littleton is amazing. If nobody's ever been down there, it's incredible. And, but everywhere you go, it just seems nice, doesn't it? Uh, just this time of year, don't you wish this mindset that everybody seems to have around Christmas, don't you wish that just lasted all year long? just being a little nicer, a little less, like, no, you first, you first, just a little more just common decency to one another. I went to Chick-fil-A the other day for lunch, and the line was like around the block. It was incredible, and I looked at it, and I went, no way do I have the kind of time, because I'm I'm the wait-to-the-last-minute-to-go-shopping kind of guy, and I'm like, there's no way I have time to wait in this line. I have to go somewhere else. But I talked myself into it because Chick-fil-A is amazing. And so I said, all right, it'll be worth it. But so I get in this giant line, and what normally, you go, everybody in this line has to be irritated because the line is taking so long. But I get all the way up. You give your order, and then they come around, and they verify it, and they have you pay for it. Well, I go to pay for it, and the girl goes, no, the car ahead of you paid for yours. And I went, oh, that's so awesome. And then I thought, well, I need to do that for the car behind me. But then she goes, you know what? It's been that way all day. Everybody is paying for the car behind them. And I went, how awesome is that? And what kind of pressure? Because there's no way I can break that chain now. <laughs> yeah, some pastor broke the chain, and now you've got to buy your own. But how cool is it? It just seems like everybody's nice, Christian or not Christian. Many people who don't celebrate Christmas for the reason of Christmas or who don't call themselves Christians still are able to somehow kind of embrace the season. And I think in large part, it's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It's great. I love to see everybody embrace the season. But I think one of the reasons why it's so easy for non-Christians to kind of jump on and celebrate that as well is because Christmas the meaning of Christmas has been diluted by our culture it's been diminished it's been outright replaced with in some cases with cartoons different things but it's been it's been minimized diluted watered down to the point to where it's pretty much palatable for just about anybody and i Although I think it's nice to see people celebrate those things, even if they don't know why they're still doing it, I think it's a shame that we have allowed, I say we, as those who call themselves disciples of Christ, have allowed it to be watered down to that point. Really, the gospel of Jesus is in your face. It is an in-your-face, all-or-nothing proposition, and that's not always the kind of thing that's generally acceptable in our culture becoming less so every single day. <sighs> Society has just come to this point where it's about, it's about um, family, which is great, but then it's eating and commercialism and consumption and all these sorts of things. And I think we've allowed it to be like that. But I want to bring us back to the meaning of Christmas Christmas is meant to be, first and foremost, a celebration of God's promise fulfilled. God's promise fulfilled on that day to send us a Savior. I've said this scripture, read it, um, every, every message in this series so far, and I'm going to do it again. Genesis 3.15, this is God speaking to Satan, and he says, "'I will make enemies of you and the woman.'" And of your offspring and her descendant, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Amen and hallelujah. That is the first gospel. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. That's the first gospel and it was spoken by God himself. It was a promise that you may have had your way, Satan, but I've got a plan. And that plan is already in motion and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. But more than that, I think it should be an ongoing celebration of that promise fulfilled. Because that promise, make no mistake, that promise was fulfilled when Christ was born. I will send a Savior. God with us, Emmanuel, was brought into the world on that day. Now there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of battling that goes on between here and there here in the end, but we celebrate God's faithfulness because we saw that tangible sign of here's my plan and here's the fulfillment of it, and it happened on that day. Not when a, a mighty army, uh, you know, a, a, a Messiah on a white horse with a flaming sword and hordes behind him marched into Jerusalem. That's how they thought it was going to look, but it looked like a little baby being brought into the world. And that's how God does things. It's rarely what we think it ought to look like, but his plans are so much better. So as disciples of Jesus, that's our job, to remember that's what Christmas is about, not just in the month of December, not just on the 25th or maybe Christmas Eve if you come to that service, but all year long. It should be our job as disciples of Christ to proclaim that. To the world. That's why the series is called The Heralds of Christmas. So last week we saw this process starting where God first entrusted the heralding of the news to angels. We saw the angel Gabriel go to Mary and then to Joseph. And then we saw Elizabeth and Zechariah um, enlightened, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, to know that this is coming. And they and they start. They start praising God for that. Then we see the same angel, Gabriel, bring some shepherds. Very humble shepherds come in, and they are entrusted with this news. And then they go back, and they share that news with their fellow shepherds. Then, a week later at the temple, we have Simeon, and we have Anna, again highlighted and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And they say, praise God for what has happened, the fulfillment of what they knew was coming. And they knew that that signaled it on that day. But think about this. By the time Jesus was a few weeks old, we had just a very small handful of people who knew that the promised Messiah had arrived in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, that's a big deal. But there were still only a few that knew about it. Mary, Joseph, Joseph. Anna, Simeon, Elizabeth, Zechariah, they knew a handful of shepherds who knew, but they didn't go into town and have a parade. They went back to their fellow shepherds. So they're all sitting around talking about it. They're all abuzz. But there was still, even if you look at what happened at the temple with Simeon and Anna and say, okay, now everybody knew. Well, still it was only the people who were there in Jerusalem, So maybe at best a couple thousand knew. But here's the thing. Hosea prophesied so many hundreds of years earlier and over and over again that those who were outcasts, those who were not a part of the original covenant, would be invited to this celebration. Hosea 2.23, he said this, I will show love to those I called not loved and to those I called not my people. I will say now... You are my people, and they will reply, You are my God. Now he's talking about outcast Jews. He's talking about uh, Gentiles, which is most of us. He's talking about the whole world really being invited to this celebration, but here we are. The most significant thing had happened, and the Gentiles and most of the world had missed the gender reveal party and had missed the birth, they just weren't there. Was that an accident? Was it an oversight? Did somebody? Did, was the angel Gabriel up in heaven going? Going? Um, yeah, God, I sort of sorry, i sort of forgot to put the invitations in the mail. Sorry, Adonai. It's by no mistake. It was meant to be like that. See, we know from Exodus 4 and other scriptures, that Israel is God's firstborn. God chose the nation of Israel to be special, favored, and chosen, set apart, to be the standard bearers, to carry the message of who he is. That was first, and they don't lose that honor just because they dropped the ball. Now we're included in it, though, because now The world needs to know. So it was no mistake that it was revealed to Jews first and then to the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When God wants to get the word out about something, he does it in a big way. And he will move heavens and earth to make that happen. Haggai, another Old Testament prophet, Haggai 2, verse 6, says, For this is what the Lord of armies says. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. When he needs to get the word out, you're not going to miss it. It's going to be unmistakable. And again, he will move heavens and earth to make sure it happens. Even the stars are at his command. Isaiah 13.10 says, For the stars of heaven... And their constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Now, he's talking about Judgment Day. That day is not here yet. But again, there's no mistaking it. We won't be sitting around on that day going, do you think that was it? I don't know. There's not going to be a doubt. The Heavens and the earth will shake. We know that, but we also know this. God is a good and patient father. He is good and he is patient and he desires that everyone would have the opportunity to come to him. Now, there are people whose theology says, no, 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 God God has already chosen those who are gonna come to him and the rest of you are all just kindling. You're brought into this world just to be consumed by fire. That's not how it works. The fact that God knows that many will eventually choose that path does not mean he chose that path for you. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How many to come to Repentance. What's the Greek translation of that word, all? All. Contrary to popular misconception, there won't be anything left to chance. Everyone will be given a choice. Everyone will have a decision to make. How many times have you... It's a rhetorical question, because I know we've all heard some version of this at some point... Someone say or challenge you as a Christian, how can you follow a God who would allow people to be burnt up and go to hell just because they didn't get the chance to hear? We have all heard some version of that, and we've had to then somehow try and defend. But they have choice and free will, and we start going down these roads... But let me tell you this, God will and has moved heaven and earth to make sure you know and you have everything you need to make that decision. Paul wrote this in Romans, Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. There's not going to be an excuse on that day. There's not going to be, well, I never heard. We hear about remote tribes of people and people who have never heard the gospel. Yes, that is true. But when the time comes... Everyone will have an opportunity to hear. Now, we are entrusted with spreading that message now. At first, it was angels, and then it was the stars themselves, and then prophets, and now it's us. We carry that message to the world, but make no mistake, when the time comes, you will hear. One of my favorite scriptures is in Revelation. And it's often kind of brushed by, but there's one section in Revelation where an angel of the Lord stands, giant, massive angel. He stands with one foot on the land and the other foot in the ocean, in the sea, and he proclaims to the whole world. This is a giant, massive angel. He's not whispering it. Everyone on the world, in the whole world will know and will have the opportunity to make that choice. That's how God is. But now, in our, in our scripture here, when we talk about the heralds of Christmas, we're at this point where, again, the angel Gabriel has heralded the arrival, and then prophets have done the same thing. And now, though, a star is chosen to actually herald the Messiah to the world. Not just this small group of people who are privy to this information in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem, the whole world. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born, in, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Matthew 2.2, 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We probably read that scripture a lot of times. Have you ever really thought about it? How did these magi know? It says, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they came from a long way away. These aren't Jews, and yet they saw his star. How did they see a star and know that it was his star? Have you ever thought of that? It was compelling enough for them to gather everything together and travel All the distance, and it was a long distance. Some people say 90 miles, I've heard up to a couple hundred, few hundred miles. It wasn't easy for them to get there. And yet they did, and they traveled, and they knew that it was his star. The one who has been born King of the Jews. That must have been some star. Have you ever thought about really what that star might have looked like? Well, let's go back a step. The Magi are often... Portrayed as kings, okay? They really weren't kings. They were wise men. They were probably wealthy wise men. They were very, very well educated, okay? And they were a part of a sect that used astronomy. And their knowledge of the stars and constellations and things like that, coupled with their knowledge of not only Hebrew scripture, but religions from all over the known world at that time, And they used those things to predict events, things that were coming up. So they were very valuable to kings, to nobles and things like that. And they made a pretty good living out of doing that. So they knew. The word magi itself is is the root word for magician that we see now. They were very well known. And they would have followed the stars and they would have then be able to see this unusual star, and it had to be something special, something very unusual. And they saw it, and it was special enough for them to then consult the Scriptures and the facts and what they knew about all the religions of the world and say, this is the coming Messiah of the Jews. We need to go figure out what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on here. They knew that it that it foretold of the birth of a king of Israel, and so they needed to find out. So that begs the question: Then, if you think about it, how did they even know about this? Did they were they just reading our our Bible someday? Well, that didn't really exist in that form at the time. It was various writings that were out there. One of the things that they would have known about and would have studied is from hundreds of years before, six hundred years before. When Israel was being held captive in Babylon, there was a prophet named Daniel. And Daniel had the ear of Nebuchadnezzar, and he told him about prophecy. He told them about Scripture from Micah and Nehemiah and Numbers that foretold of a coming Messiah in very, very precise detail. And a scholar of those things would have been able to connect the dots pretty easily and pretty accurately. Then all they were waiting for was the sign, and they saw it in this star. Can you even imagine what it must have been? I I can't wrap my mind around it. No one really knows what this new star was. Okay, It could have been a a supernova. It could have been a conjunction of planets. If you were with us last year, we went out. Terry, I think you're here. We went out, and we looked through the telescope at the conjunction of planets. That was awesome, but we really don't know what it was, but it was different. It was something special. <coughs> at Christmas, you probably noticed this. At Christmas, most stars, see, you can see that star right there with the multiple points, or you can see these sometimes in the mall or Christmas decorations. Stars that look like that, not just a five pointed, you know, simple childish drawing that we do. That star, that style, it's called a Moravian star. And there's a whole a whole uh, bunch that we can talk about on why they call it the Moravian Star and all these sorts of things. I'm not going to go into that, but the point is, it's designed to look like multiple stars together or maybe one exploding star or one unusual star. Let's just put it like that. A little science fact. I'm going to drop some science on you today. When two or more stars fall into each other's gravity, okay, anywhere in the universe, when they fall into each other's gravity and they pull into each other, and they collide, okay? They can explode with what's called a nova or supernova, or they can, a special kind of nova that's called a red nova. Let me show you a picture. Now, I wanna set this up before we actually play it. It's a movie, it's about, it's about a minute long. This is an actual image taken from the Hubble Space Telescope of a red nova in space, okay? Now, this, this happened a couple decades ago, um it wasn't visible by the naked eye. This is not a painting. It's not a drawing. It's not an animation. This is an actual picture of a red nova. The bright, the Notice the stars, how they, they look. It's not a filter. It's not exaggerated. That really happened in space. 19,000 light years from our sun. And we don't know if the star or the event that the Magi saw was this or something like it. But the creator of the heavens and earth orchestrated that. And it was so far away, we couldn't see it with the naked eye. But a telescope saw it. The one that the Magi saw was much, much closer and clearly visible by the naked eye. And it was so close and so inexplainably different that it caused a commotion. And they knew. They knew something was different on their hands. So it's different enough to where Herod is concerned. Herod's like, he knows too. Hundreds of miles away from where they are, he knows there's something going on here. And he calls his advisors together and says, I need you to go verify What's going on and where the birthplace of this so called Messiah is? Matthew 2 3 and 4 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You ever heard about, you ever thought about why they would be troubled? Herod, for one reason, if a Messiah was coming, that probably meant trouble for him. But all the people of Jerusalem were troubled also. They should have been rejoicing if they thought it was a coming Messiah. How human is it though that they're like we don't like change we don't like what's going on now and we've been hoping and praying for this thing but now that it's here we don't know if we really like change it's kind of human nature gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people he herod inquired of them where the messiah was to be born And his advisors immediately go back and they start quoting Micah and other scriptures that say very clearly the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now remember, this is all just a result of looking up in the sky and seeing a star that is unmistakably different. There's something happening there. Herod commands the Magi. Now he commands them because he's a king and he's used to getting his way the magi didn't work for him really but they were there so the magi and his advisors then he says you go find this christ child the star had led the magi all the way across from their homes wherever they were led them all the way across the desert brought them to jerusalem but now they're okay like we're not from around here Where is Bethlehem? We don't know. And once we get there, how do we know which house he's in? How do we know any of these things? The star high in the sky clearly led them to Jerusalem. But now what? How do we go on to the next step? So they go outside to start their search. You can imagine they're kind of like, well, what do you think? Where should we go? And then Matthew 2.9, after hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Wrap your head around what's going on here. The star in the sky, amazing celestial event, maybe similar to what I showed you, maybe not. They see that, and it brings them to Jerusalem. Then they go outside, and now all of a sudden, this star has become personal. It's down, it's among them, and it's literally guiding them It's not like it's going to guide us generally east. It guides them to the house where Jesus is. Now, Jerusalem to Bethlehem is only about five, five and a half miles away. It's not very far, but God moved the very heavens to get his message out, to bring them to the place where they needed to be. How would you feel about that when they saw that the star was again guiding them and would bring them right to the place. Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That redundancy is not accidental or a translational issue. That's actually a, a, a method that they use, a, a tool in writing, to just illustrate how in, like, joy is not a big enough word. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This was a big thing. It wasn't just like, hey, cool, it's bringing us over there. Do you think we should follow it? There was no mistaking. It was different. It was special. And God was doing this. And it led them right there. It led them right there. That star had to be unique. They knew it was the same star that they saw in the sky from their home hundreds of miles away. It was the same star, only now it was among them it was taking them right where they needed to be so they arrive and they present their gifts to Jesus Matthew 2:11 after coming into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell to the ground and worshiped him then opening their treasures they presented to him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh even these even these pagan sorcerers wizards magicians recognized the deity of the Christ, when they saw him. And they immediately fell to the ground and worshipped him. See, this season that we're in right now is called Advent because it marks the coming of the Messiah. It's called Advent, literally means coming. And the first time Jesus came, this star marked his arrival. The next time he comes, at what we call the second Advent, stars in heaven will fall. Think about that. As amazing, as incredible as that star guiding them must have been, can you imagine being there when the stars fall? Matthew kind of talks about it. And what he says, you can't possibly get an image of what really is going to happen. Matthew 24 verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verses 30, 31, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power in great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet blast and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other it's an amazing scene that i can't wait to see it's going to be unmistakable you will not see that happen and go huh better bring an umbrella today it will be clear that God is moving and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet blast. And if you're not sure if you believe in God or even if you know that you believe in him but you have doubts like, why would he care about me? Why would God even care about little old me with all my flaws and all my stuff and everything that's going on? Every time you look up in the sky, and you see a star. I want you to think about this. When you think of the vast expanse of the universe, think of the creator God who orchestrated a a red nova like that I showed you a minute ago. The universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, galaxies, all those things. What is man that God should be mindful of us? He cares about you, and he will move heavens and earth on your behalf. Get this. The creator of the heavens and earth will move that very creation just to get your attention. Just to say, I did all of this for you. In 2022, we are going to have an incredible opportunity to watch God move the heavens and the earth. Now, many of you may know about this. I can guarantee there's at least one of you who knows about this. But you're all about to know. Humans across the whole world will get to see a new star born in 2022. We'll get to see it, not with a telescope, with the naked eye. Sometime in 2022, a new star will appear in the sky and it will be formed by a red nova. Remember the pic- showing the picture again. Remember that. This one will be much much closer, about eighteen hundred light years away, and you can see it with the naked eye. It will be brighter than any other star in the sky, including Polaris, which we call the North Star. It'll be brighter than that, and for six months we'll get to see it. Now, it's already happened. This collision of stars has already happened, and that image is hurtling towards the earth. We just can't see it yet. 1,800 light years takes a little bit, but it'll be here. And given that that is the first time in history where we will be able to witness a moment like that without any technology, telescope would make it cool, Terry. Terry. telescope would make it super cool but it's a significant event in human history it is significant now according to some especially some some uh jewish rabbis who study these sorts of things they feel that this is the fulfillment of prophecy numbers twenty four seventeen says i see him but not now i look at him but not near A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. They will point to that and say, this this is the culmination of something. Now, I'm not saying that the appearance of this new star is a signal that the return of Christ is imminent, but I'm not saying it isn't. It should be a reminder to us, whether you believe that means something specific time-wise or not, but it should be a reminder to us that God can and will and does move the heavens and earth to get your attention. And that one of the times when this happens, it will be the time when it happens. And they won't just appear in the sky to where everybody's, that's a real curiosity. Stars will fall from the sky. The ground will be torn. The ground will shake. The mountains will fall. All of these things happen. And it's our responsibility to tell the world that message that was first given to angels and then to prophets and then to the heavens themselves to proclaim, to herald the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us, is now entrusted to us. Those who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, it's our job to herald his arrival to the world until the day of the second advent when he returns. Remember, I said it in earlier messages, I want to repeat it. The act of heralding the arrival of the Messiah is not peaceful, and it's not passive. It is something we are required to do. It's meant to be an invitation, but then, as a powerful statement of the reality that awaits, if you choose not to accept his invitation... Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start heading up here. So we remember Christmas, and we should celebrate Christmas as a celebration that the one who was promised from the very beginning, the one who would reconcile us to the Father, the one who would pay the price for our sinful nature, the promised Messiah, is now in the world. And the one who offers salvation through him to all who would accept that offer is here. He has come into the world. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. On Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, if you do it that way, we give presents to each other as a reminder of the greatest gift ever given. Think about this, a baby born. God's plan to send his son into the world to save us didn't come in with an army. He came in as a baby. But the destiny of that baby was to one day die on the cross for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I want to ask you, before we pray, I just want to leave you with this question. Who will you share that awesome gift with today? Not someday, not when the time is right. Today, who will you share that gift with? It's been given to you so that we can give it to others. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and the fact that you care about us at all. God, is so humbling. You created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and yet you care about us enough to send your son into this world to pay the price for us. So Lord, let us with boldness on Christmas Day, today, And every other day of the year, let us boldly proclaim how grateful we are, how glorious you are, how humble we are, and how magnificent you are. Let us proclaim that invitation. Herald the coming of the Messiah, the second coming. It's coming. We don't know when, but we know we better be ready. And we know it's our job to help others understand that. So, Father, give us the boldness. Give us those divine invitations and let us not step back from our responsibility to share who you are with this world who so desperately needs you. God, in a time of year where people's hearts are softened by the season, whatever it is it takes to soften their heart, maybe, Lord, that's the time when the message can get through best. So use us, Lord. Use us. We are here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to take communion together. If you're out there online, wherever you are, you need two elements. You need something that represents the body of Christ broken for you. And you need something that represents the blood, the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant that washes us clean from sin and reconciles us once and for all to the Father. You just need those two elements. Here in house at the crosses, you can serve yourself if you'd like. Up front here, we have wine. Pastor Gabe and I would be happy to serve you up here. Maybe you're in a place where you just need prayer for anything. Whether you need healing prayer, whether you have something going on in your life that you just need guidance for. They can help you seek God's voice and hear God's voice. We have prayer team in the back. Look for somebody with a the lanyard. They would be happy to pray with you. But let's move about and take communion as the worship team plays on. But let's do it with grateful hearts, but not just accepting that gift, knowing that accepting that gift of reconciliation, recepting accepting that gift that Christ died to give you means that now our responsibility is to share that with others. Let's take that seriously before we take communion and align ourselves with that mission. You are free to worship now or free to move around and take communion with us? Thank you, church.